Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is March 26, 2023. And look, we have to start off our sermon this morning and tell you that we are in such a special time as a church. Oh, nobody agrees. This is an actual special time, a special season in our church. Let us help you since we need a little help this morning. In less than 90 days of 2023, we have been overwhelmed with the dynamically dense dunamis power of our God. In just 84 days. Somebody say 84 days. 84 days. We have started the process of setting out. We've seen Juan and Graciela get married and now they're pregnant. We've had another announcement of pregnancy today. The Balkan Bow revelation has been given, and it's starting to influence the entire direction of our generations. Oh, yeah. We're developing and being fathers who are raising sons into brotherhood who will also be fathers. And somebody say, and. Yeah. We've had two engagements in the last two Sundays. Woo! Somebody say that's special. That's special. Somebody say that's supernatural. That's supernatural. <laughs> to be determined. That's who's next. Guys, last week, in the midst of an engagement of Luke Ledesma and Abigail Stevens, LCM, you guys were also deeply impacted by a powerful sermon that confronted all of us with the necessity of lighting our lamps, yeah. sweeping our homes, and also helping to find our lost coins and the subsequent celebration that occurs whenever those lost coins are indeed found. Amen. So we got a question for you this morning. Raise your hand in celebration if you found a lost coin this week. Yeah. 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 Guys, when you find a lost coin, it's celebration. It's celebration through the entire process because from the beginning to the end, there's been transparency. From the beginning to the end, you can see the supernatural power of God that there was not something there that should have been, but then he brought it back to you. He brought restoration back into your life, and that is worthy of celebration. What's unique about this body is if you've lost a coin... Almost all of us are transparent enough to say, I've lost this coin. And when we found it, everyone rejoices. Can you imagine the inverse of that? I lost a coin and praise, praise myself that no one knew that I lost a coin. But not in this house. When we find something, it causes the congregation and body of believers to rejoice with that man or woman. So last week in the midst of an engagement... Or, uh, no, we're, we're going to go to remembering. As you have discovered coins that have been lost from your engagement gift given to you by the groom, we have great news for you today. In addition, we are the treasure bride of Christ. He's already purchased our field at great expense. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has betrothed us. And he has given us gifts. And our groom is not willing to lose any one of us. Someone say amen. amen. That's because we are his bride. Which leads us to our title of today's message. Which is groom conscious. Groom, groom conscious. 
Everybody say groom conscious. Groom conscious. All right, so in our typical liturgy of a wedding, you have the parents and grandparents that come and sit down. You have the wedding party that is ushered in. And then there comes that point where the doors are closed and you're waiting for that, that statement. The statement is, everyone please stand for the bride. You see, there, there is a point when all will stand for the bride of Christ. But what precedes that is being fully conscious of the groom. It's what brought the bride to that point in the first place. So look, as we turn to John chapter 18, and you say groom conscious, we're going to see the ability of our groom to keep all that is his. And that very facet and character of our groom is worthy of shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah. So John chapter 18 and verse 9. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. No sowed in that scripture. I think it's pretty Peshat. Well, think about this is Jesus. He is the groom, the perfect groom among all grooms. Of course he didn't lose anything. He has not lost one that has been trusted to him. He is the perfect groom who is longing to bring to himself a perfect bride. He's the perfect groom, and he's looking for a perfect bride. So come on, church. Based on your understanding of our lesson two of maximizing marriages and the very content that was shared last Sunday, you know that we are in the erosion period. And in that erosion period, you have something called a Shad Khan. True. Yeah, not Shaka Khan. I know. Shad Khan. In the true pronunciation of Hebrew, if I'm not mistaken, is Shad Khan. Am I right, Treester? A little stronger. Okay. Shad Khan. That's more Japanese. Anyway. Diaphragm. Speak from diaphragm. Ashad Khan is, is like the servant in Genesis 24. A.K.A. it's the Holy Spirit. The very one who has worked to broker this marriage in the first place. And with that, there's also the ketuva that's in hand. That contract that's been established. Then there's the baptism process of the mikvah. And that has occurred. And we are now in the process of sanctification. And sanctification that comes through introspection and contemplation. As we are readying our garments, our behavior, and more importantly, our deeds. And we are now standing in a time of anticipation of the arrival of the groom. I mean, don't you guys long for the appearing of your Savior? That we are looking for the consolation of Israel. For the kingdom of God to come from heaven to earth to make all things right, but particularly the unification of the groom and the bride. Now, when you realize and you start thinking about a groom and a bride, you realize that the Bible is completely replete with these kind of images and and uh, language to help us to understand what's going on. Now, I want to brag on Keith Phillips for just a second. Keith did not know what we were going to preach on and absolutely nailed our opening scripture. So everybody turn with us to Isaiah 52. Yeah. 
Fantastic, counselor. Way to go, Keith. Isaiah 52, we're going to look at verse 3. Somebody say groom conscious as you're turning there. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money, you will be redeemed. Now, this is beginning to speak to us about a selection process. It's not like you were chosen because of something great that you had that Jesus saw and said, wow, that's incredible. I'm impressed. We were selected having nothing to bring to the matter. We had no goodness. We had nothing in ourselves that he saw. But what he saw was something that he could transform inside of us. He was able to look at us and say, this is not about your ability. This is not about your performance. I see something, and I'm going to make you my bride. So if it didn't start with your performance, it's not based on your performance to continue in this process. The very same thing that caused him to choose us was his divine love for us. He saw us. He wanted to be with us, and so he chose us. We came to him with absolutely nothing. So you can be 100% assured that the redemption process, that the, the maturation process, that our sanctification process is going to be in, done in the exact same manner. Can somebody say amen? Amen. It's not about our performance. We had nothing to start with. See, a better comparison is that we were unrefined, trashed out, overgrown kind of field that he came and purchased at great price. Yeah. Matthew, stay in Isaiah 52, but we're going to put Matthew 13, 44 on the screen regarding that trashed out, unrefined field that was purchased. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sell all that he has and buys that field. You have to imagine this setting here. The man finds something. He sees potential in this field, but it's not perfect. In fact, it's overgrown. It's trashed out. What does he do? He covers it back up, goes and figures out how to buy the entirety of that field. Now, when he's not tending to it, does it get better or worse? Yeah, but he's coming back for something. He's coming back for the potential that he sees in that field. And when he gets back, he's going to tend to it. He's going to work on it. He's going to make sure that that field becomes exactly what his vision for it is. Guys, if you think about Judas, because we've been studying Acts. If you think about Acts chapter 1 for a moment, you realize that Judas purchased a field so that he could spill his blood in that field. But Jesus spilled his blood so that he could purchase the field of your life. Do you see the difference between those two things? Jesus took the first step. He chose to spill his blood first that the field of your life and the field of this ministry would be purchased with his precious blood. He joyfully endured the cross. He scorned its shame because you were the field that he had in mind. 
Because he knew that he would uncover the treasure and the potential for that treasure inside of each one of our lives because we are the bride of Christ and he chose us. Guys, any groom who has money can go and buy a bride. It's not hard. You're rich, you go, you buy a bride. You got a bunch of cows, you go and you buy a bride. You got some goats on your property, you take a few of those, you go and you buy a bride. But our groom did it differently. Our groom paid a special price to buy his bride. Our groom chose to spill his own blood as the bride price so that he could buy the whole field knowing that what he would do with that field would produce the fruit that he was always after. This proves the value of the purchase that was determined by our groom himself and that he paid with his blood. So you catch what Pastor Nick is teaching us. Jesus, the groom, has valued the bride at the cost of his own blood. He values what she will become. What he will make her into, and therefore he is willing to let her be developed. Are you following us? He's willing to let her be developed through hardship and suffering that she might become just like him and be presented to him as a radiant and perfect bride, beautiful in his sight. If you're still in Isaiah 52, we want you to hear what he says in verse 4. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. So as you're looking at that verse, we don't want you to miss the beauty in it. At first it was Egypt, but lately, meaning right now, Assyria is oppressing them. Why is that significant and why is it beautiful? It's because the refinement process for the bride has always been the same. When it's in the name of your groom, when it is in the name of Jesus that you endure hardships and persecution, then even a beating is a beauty treatment. Do you remember how kings are made? Brides are made in the desert too. Brides are developed along the journey of hardships and persecution, whether it's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, or even the present day persecutions. The process is the same. Jesus makes you beautiful by making you like him through suffering and through hardships. There's a necessity of this process to be able to prepare the bride for something that's coming in the future. And that is the great wedding supper of the Lamb. That is the altar in Revelation. That the church of God, since the beginning, since its inception, Jesus the groom has been drawing to himself, making beautiful through hardship, through persecutions, through difficulty, to prepare her for what? To stand before him as beautiful. To stand before him arrayed in those holy garments and saying, this is the bride that I have been waiting for. And because she has endured the test, she is beautiful and she is ready for me to take her with me. You know, when you're putting this together and the bride has been purchased, 
She's the field with the treasure. And purchased at the sacrifice and blood of the groom. Led through the desert. Refined. Invested in. Then there's a certain response whenever people speak ill of the bride. Verse 5 is where this picks up. And now, what do I have here? I don't know about you, where I come from, we call those fighting words. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing. And those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. So let's connect what's in this passage. The anger, the jealousy, the fury of the groom is incensed whenever his bride is mocked. Incensed. Because the equivalency is to mock her is to blaspheme him. Can I tell you a story, real quick story? Millennia ago, like 1994, we're all fellowshipping at this wonderful restaurant, culinary delight of Shoney's. We're the finest of fine come to dine. And as we're there having some late night fellowship after Wednesday night service, we hear a bit of a ruckus in the back. And it's a manager and a worker. Manager is a guy. And getting into it with a woman there who's a waitress. And um, all of a sudden, you see her come around and pick up the landline phone that's on the wall. You might need to go to Smithsonian to see one of those now. She makes a phone call, and she is just ranting and raving about an altercation that's happening between the manager and herself. Well, no joke, about eight minutes later, this big, burly beast of a man walks through the door. It's her husband. You don't hear any words. All you hear is, He knocked him out. <laughs> if it's like that for someone who is lost and behaves in such a manner like that, how much more is it when it's righteous indignation from God himself about his bride? When you are mocked, it is blaspheming the name of God because he bought the field that you are. With his own sacrifice and blood, he purchased and redeemed you for himself. And he has spent the sacrifice and time to develop you in the desert. You are his greatest achievement. A bride is a groom's greatest glory. So the groom, he is willing to let his bride be developed. But it will not be without cost or penalty towards those who have mocked the groom in the process by mocking her. So Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is the most excellent groom. Amen. Perfect for the bride and relentless in his pursuit of 
her holiness. You know what, saints? I'll give you a, a divine revelation. Jesus is in love with us. He is in love with us. Look to the extent in which he has gone and continues to go to refine and purify you as his bride. And we are in love with him. Our love for him causes us to announce to the world of the wedding that will occur when he comes to take us and be with him, just as the fourth cup in Exodus 6 talks about. He is the king of her cultivation. He is the keeper of their covenant. He is her covering and confidant. He is the crusher of her captors and the captivator of her heart. This is the groom who loves his bride. This is Jesus and the church. He is our champion, and we will not fail to uphold his great character and begin to proclaim the name that we are inheriting from him. Come on now. With that beautiful picture in mind, let's look at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation and say to Zion, your God reigns. Come on now, let's really engage with this verse from the perspective of a groom and his bride. Why does the messenger have beautiful feet? Because he is the herald that is bringing good news that the groom is on the way. See, he has gone away to prepare a place. And now, now this herald is saying, I can see the groom and he is coming. The promised and perfect groom has completed the making ready a place for his bride. And the father of glory has said the time is now upon us. Trumpets are being sounded and the time has come. Come on now, church, our ears. It's like if you're in this moment, you're hearing the herald's proclamation of shalom. Those who are proclaiming peace, our groom has brought all things into shalom. Put yourself in that moment. He's brought all things into shalom. And you know where he started? He started with us. He started with his bride. That means that we've gone through the necessary difficulties. We fought the right kind of battles. And now we are just like our groom in perfect and right order, starting with being in right order with him. Come on now. Are, are you understanding this from a groom and a bride's perspective? If the coming of a baby in a manger was good tidings of great joy. You ready, Ben? How much more rejoicing accompanies this mature groom entering into our world? He's looking, he's longing to bring joy and life and comfort to his bride and the total annihilation of all those who mocked him. You can't love him and hate his bride. I mean, I love Jesus. I just don't know about the church. You are mocking the groom. You are blaspheming his name because she bears his name. See, this right here is the moment in Isaiah 52 where the groom is bringing salvation to his bride. The fullness of this. The proclamation of Yeshua. Salvation is fully realized here in this moment. The groom who has flawless character. Somebody say amen. amen. 
He's good beyond imagination. He's powerful beyond comprehension. He is loving beyond all of our faults. He is righteous beyond all limitations. He is faithful, especially in the faith in the face of our faithlessness. And he has arrived on the scene. This perfect groom is standing there and his name is proclaimed as Yeshua, salvation, and he is on the scene. Do you hear what Isaiah is saying? Go ahead and say it. Say it to Zion. Say it to all the earth. Yeshua is king over all. And he is the perfect groom who is here to elevate his bride because he has made her exactly what he is. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, you should be grabbing hold, grasping a more clear picture of that moment of anticipation. That moment that all of us are longing for, where our groom arrives on the scene, he shows up and begins to make everything new, begins to bring everything under his shalom and under his feet. That's a moment that all of us are anticipating greatly. We're looking forward to that moment where we will become one with our groom. The bride and groom will stand as one. Oh my goodness, church, the one who never sleeps, the one who never slumbers, the one who faithfully watches over his bride, and this passage right here is seen to have arrived to take his bride to be with him forever. That's why verse 8 says what it does. Listen, your watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Can you feel the anticipation building? Guys, this is a description of the return of the groom. The very one who will return, but not just return. It's not only your eyes that will see him. You will behold him carrying you, carrying his bride across the threshold. He will put you on his shoulders and he will make sure that you make it all the way to perfection. All the way to the promise. All the way to the resurrection together as you stand with him in power. We want to make sure that you understand the certainty Of the character of your groom who will, in fact, do this. So in light of this epic display of his eternal power, his ability and goodness, we can be sure that our groom will help us to get to this moment. For example, we want to paint a picture for you of what our groom is like so we can understand just from our own personal experience. Can you imagine or even fathom Spencer seeing Randy faltering under the weight of a burden and a difficult task and him not rising from his place to help her so she doesn't get crushed under the weight? Can't even fathom that. It's inconceivable. In the same way, can you imagine Luke hearing of a serious injury that Abigail has suffered? And him not rushing to her side and paying any price 
giving any sacrifice or any and all effort to see her be made well and whole? Can't even imagine. Of course not. But why is this? It's because these grooms love their bride. And they're going to use and will use everything that they have and whatever they are to be with their betrothed and to make it to the wedding day. And for her to make it to the wedding day whole, perfect, and prepared. If this is true of these mighty men of God, how much more Christ, who is the groom of his church? Isn't he the perfect groom? We'll turn with us quickly so we can see this principle in the breadth of Scripture to Luke chapter 16 and say groom conscious as you turn. Groom conscious. We're going to pick up in verse 22 in the ESV. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, we're familiar with this parable that Jesus is telling, and there's a contrast, obviously, between the poor man, Lazarus, and the rich man. That the poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man, who had mistreated the poor man, he also died, but was just buried, just laid into the earth. And while in Sheol, Lazarus, the poor man, is standing next to Abraham. But the rich man is looking from a distance across a chasm, standing in torment. And he is longing to have done his life differently and made it model that of the poor man. See, for the righteous, in death, we are carried. We are carried by his angelic force to the side of the great cloud of witnesses, to the side of our groom. In fact, the groom carries his bride across the threshold as she enters into eternal life. This is the hope that we have, that no amount of pain, no amount of suffering, no amount of developing in the desert can take away that promise that I'm going to be carried by my groom into eternity where I get to participate, we get to participate in the glory that he possesses. Come on now. Let's go to Revelation 21 and verse 9. Revelation 21, 9, say, groom conscious as you're turning. Groom conscious. Not conscience, conscious, aware, paying attention to. Verse 9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away 
in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Church, we saw it with Lazarus as a poor but righteous man that was carried to the side of his groom at the end of all things, at the culmination of the ages. The groom is again seen carrying his completed bride and uh, carrying the completed bride to the very place that he has prepared for her. You're seeing this city, the new Jerusalem, that has been adorned, that has been prepared in the exact same kind of fashion as the bride herself. You're hearing the very same language, just as beautiful, just as adorned, in the exact same kind of fashion, prepared in the very same manner that the bride was prepared. See, you can see at the culmination of the ages, this groom taking his bride, carrying her across the threshold into the place that he's prepared for her. See, from the beginning to the end of the story, you're able to see that our groom is able to carry in these moments to the threshold of victory for resurrection, for permanent life, for permanent strength, where all weakness has been eliminated. He is the perfect groom, and he is able to carry his bride across Come the on. threshold. Come on, church. It's not just in the New Testament law where we can see the groom and his ability no, his desire, no, his intention fully to carry his bride. It's not just in the Newer Testament, uh, right, uh, Newer Testament prophet that we can see him doing this. We can also see it in the Newer Testament writings in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Go there with us. Say groom conscious as you're going. Groom conscious. 2 Peter 1, 21 says... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Can you see the theme of God carrying his bride? Of the groom carrying his bride through each of these passages that we've hit so far. Guys, in 2 Peter's case, in chapter 1, he is making sure that you know that every man of God who contributed to the scriptures, every man of God that received prophecy, that received insight, that received wisdom and wrote it down for the book that you have in your hands right now, he was carried along by the Lord and his spirit. See, everything that you're holding in that book of scriptures, every letter, every word, happened because the Spirit of God and the groom chose to carry his bride, and, and that caused that supernatural book to come about. Because of his carrying, they were able to speak. They were able to prophesy. They were able to obtain and write down and preserve the very words of God from heaven. Amen. Let's look at one of the prophecies from one of the men who was carried along by a spirit. As you're turning to Isaiah 40 and finding verse 11, shout groom conscious. Groom conscious. Isaiah 40, picking up in verse 11. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. 
not only did God carry his nation, his people, his bride, his sheep, like a shepherd, but he also carries them close to his heart. Why would a shepherd take a lamb and carry him, not just in his arms, but close to his heart? Because he loves that lamb. But in loving that lamb, there is also some knowledge that the shepherd has. There are predators who want to take him from her. And he says, that will not happen. This lamb belongs to me. If you want this lamb, you're going to have to pry it from my arms. And let me tell you, there is nothing that can be taken from God's arms. And if he holds that lamb in his arms, that is a secure place. That can be, cannot be corrupted by anything else. Man, we love reading the prophets who are carried along by the Spirit. Because we see how God has made sure that his sheep, that his people experience him in an intimate way. Because he holds them closely. He holds them gently. And he holds them intimately. And let's all turn to Psalm 28 and see how this concept continues. This truth. Groom conscious. Groom conscious. We're going to pick up in verse 9. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Carry them forever. Uh, Peyton just painted the imagery of a shepherd carrying a lamb close to his heart. And that, that illustration is to show you how invested the shepherd is in the care of his sheep. You know that he does that for you? He does that for you on a consistent and daily basis. But many of you guys have little ones. And whether you go to the zoo, go to fellowship, at some point, your kids fall asleep and you don't have a stroller with you. And what do you have to do? Carry them. And you carry them close to your heart. You tend to them. You love them. Well, in like manner here in, in Psalm 28, he's not only making sure that his people experience him closely, he is guaranteeing that he will be their shepherd, but with the total imagery of being their groom. See, they're one and the same. Men, those of you who are married, aren't you the shepherds and pastors of your home? And the way that that began is that as a groom, you carried your bride over the threshold and by doing so brought her into your home underneath your hopa so that together as a new entity under heaven, her with your name, your deeds, now there can be an example of Christ's victory on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly the imagery that's being painted here. God's heart is a shepherd's heart, but more importantly, what we're emphasizing is that it's a groom's heart. You realize we still do this? We have this tradition to today, right? A groom that carries his bride across the threshold. Now, some of you ladies are like, yeah, I don't know if my man can do that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I can always do that. I'm just looking at my, I'm looking at my wife. That's always going to happen. 
always till my last and dying day. That's going to be an easy thing. It's a beautiful thing to consider a groom who's carrying a bride across the threshold. I mean, you got to think through it. When, I, when, I, when we got married 26 years ago, I was worried about the door frame, and I could see just, you know, knocking her head in the wall there. I was very, very worried about it. Our groom is not worried about any of those things. He is able to hold us closely, close to his heart, and carry us across the threshold of victory. Why do we read so many times in Scripture? God reaffirming his promise to carry his people, the nation of Israel. Where did the promise actually start? So let's all go to the Torah together. Let's go to Exodus 19, which, of course, you know, is right at the beginning of the erosion period as the people of God are about to receive the Ketubah out Mount Sinai. Exodus 19 and verse 4. Say groom conscious as you turn there. Groom conscious. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you, say it with me, carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Wow. Now, remember that this is after their inability to be able to deliver themselves from Egypt, from the slavery that they were experiencing. This is after they actually got all dressed up for battle, but the Lord had to lead them a different way because they weren't yet ready for battle. Being dressed for battle and being ready for battle are two different things. This is after the mikvah process of coming through the Red Sea. This is after their grumbling at Marah. This is after their quarreling with Moses and Aaron and the complaints of the hunger and the thirst that they had. This is after all of those events and God is speaking. The groom is speaking. He said, I want you to remember something. I want you to know what you've already seen that I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings. Come on, church. The perfect groom wasn't looking at the weaknesses, the grumbling, the complaining, the quarreling of his bride. He did not want to throw her away in that moment. He wanted to carry her away in that moment. He was looking to carry his bride. And you got to catch something here. This is the erosion period. This is not the final victory of a husband actually carrying his wife across the threshold because they're being united. This was at the beginning of the process. He was saying, I don't want to throw you away because it was never based on your performance. I want to carry you away. I want to help you each and every step. Not only will I carry you across a threshold, but here's the revelation that we need to get. He's been carrying us the entirety of the time. Wow. He's been carrying us all along anyway. Church, he's not just going to carry you in the last days. He will do it then. It's not just about a carrying that gets you to a resurrection of body at the culmination of all things. What kind of groom would ignore a, a betrothed in moments where she was weak? If she stumbles and can't make it to the wedding day, then what good is the process? God is with us to carry us all along the way. Come on now. You have to understand what's going on here. 
There are people in this room who've been fighting with this exact principle this week. Man, these, these engagements are good. Man, it's stirring up beautiful things. I can see what God is doing. Ah! I'm looking at my own lost coins and feeling like he's going to throw me away. Is this true or not? You've been seeing your own deficits just like the groom was doing here with Israel. He's saying, I've seen your quarreling. I've seen your complaining. I've seen your weakness. I've seen your lost coins. And I'm not looking to throw you away. You're not strong enough yet, but I am. In my betrothal process, I have promised to get you all the way to the wedding day. I am the one that has made the promise to you, and I will carry you each and every step of this way. Church, you really, our, our culture around us doesn't help us at all in this. You know, we have a culture where you can get engaged, and then that engagement, you haven't sealed the deal yet, though. You got some time. You got some months ahead of you. That engagement process, you're still trying to work, work some things out. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then at the end we're not married yet and the deal's not sealed so I can walk away from this. That's not what happens in the biblical culture. That's not what happens once the erosion period begins. Guys, once the erosion period begins, that deal is as good as sealed. The commitment of the groom is 100% for his bride. He will do whatever it takes during that erosion period to make sure that his bride gets all the way to marriage and life together beyond. No sacrifice will be too high. No discouragement will cause him to walk away because that is his bride. She now belongs to him and he is waiting for that moment where they can be together forever. You are the bride of Christ. And if you know that you are the bride, you also know that you are the field that he bought. He knew what the field looked like when he bought you. He knew how jacked up the field was when he paid the price for you. He knew that already, but he also could see the treasure that was inside of each one of you. If he chose you, if he caused you to reach the beginning of that erosion period, which I know that he did for every one of you, then that means he not only will see you to completion, he's not only 100% for you, but his perfect character will carry you all the way to the finish line. And you need to trust that. You know what's really evident is that when we look at Israel's history, it is clear that he had been carrying them the entire time. And his commitment has never wavered. You know, Pastor Wade asked a minute ago, how many of you have been dominated by that thought that God wants to throw you away? Yeah, and transparency. Now's the time to get liberated of it. Why hide it? It comes out anyway. You know what we're actually doing? We're projecting onto him what we're doing to ourselves. 
The reason that this message is titled Groom Conscious is because he has to be the center of our focus. What he thinks, what he feels, what he has demonstrated, what he has been relentless in in pursuing us as his bride. And look, let's be honest. Just like Israel, the one that the bride that he's been carrying along the whole way, and particularly once leaving Egypt and getting to that Red Sea and nasty event after nasty event, we too have been bridezillas. We have been that heinous human being that has kicked and screamed because everything is not perfect the way that we think it should be. Oh, but our groom is perfect. He is patient. He is lovingly direct and joyfully immovable. He is more committed to this covenant than you are. And he's proven it time and time again. Before we move on to Psalm 77, I just want to I want to share a brief testimony of the last several months of my life and how the King of Kings, the perfect groom has proven in my life that he does not want to throw me away. He just wants my refinement. He wants to carry me. Many of you know that through prayer, through seeing what the Lord is going to do in the Balkan region in the region of Aswan, the Lord led us to make a decision that I would seek employment back in the medical field. And through that process, I find my heart being burdened through interviews, through paperwork, through the fear that I may not be able to do this again. There are some inward thoughts, inward emotions, ways that I behaved towards the groom that I'm not proud of. Because in the midst of that trial, in the midst of those testing, sleepless nights, early mornings, countless interviews, I felt, and I mean I felt, despite what I know, I felt that the Lord was trying to kill me, not carry me. But I had to come to that breaking point where I realized I was projecting on the Lord. I was thinking in a faithless faithless way, and it was producing faithless actions. Yet he didn't throw me away. He brought me to a crushing point where he can say, look, your feet are not even on the ground. Lord, then why am I trying to get away from you? I'm sorry. Teach me. I want to walk with you. I don't want to go astray. And then I have a beautiful image of what the Lord's been doing over the last couple weeks. Because as of recent, I'm overjoyed with what he's doing. I'm overjoyed in this carrying process because I want to walk with him. And I cannot walk away and walk in a different way than him if he is the one carrying me. Because it's only his feet on the ground. Are you catching me on that? He doesn't want to throw you away. He wants to carry you. He's not trying to kill you. And it's not either or because he wants you. He bought the whole field. If you've been sitting in this room and you're thinking to yourself, well, I can be carried or buried, but it looks like I'm going to be buried. No. No, he, he wants you. He purchased you with his blood. Your life is not your own. If we can catch that revelation that he's been carrying us all along, Man, there's, there's no trial, there's no persecution, there's no refinement process. 
that will keep us from being ready on that day when he comes. Even in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of losing jobs, losing children, having difficulties in the world at large, any circumstance that comes your way, where we can keep our hope is when we know that it was Egypt last year, it's Assyria this year, it'll be Babylon next year. The refinement process is the same because the king is the same. The groom is the same. Think back to when you came to LCM. Think back to those most difficult seasons in your life and think about the ones that you know you're in now and the ones that are ahead of you. You know what's the same? The groom who is carrying you through every single one of them. Someone say amen to that. Amen. Let's, let's turn to Psalm 77. Say groom conscious as you turn. Groom conscious. Verse 18 the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. So what the psalmist here is doing is he's alluding back to the beginning of Israel's erosion period with their groom. He's reminding them of the ketubah that was drawn up on Mount Sinai. With thunder and lightning lighting up the mountain. And he's reminding them of the baptism that they experienced together at the Red Sea. Crossing over from death into life into a new entity. From the moment the erosion period began, he was carrying his people the entire time, even though his footprints could not be seen in the process. The answer to what we are talking about today is the fact that we must be groom conscious. His character is flawless. His ability is beyond question. His strength will never end. What he does for us is not even the issue. Our problem is that we get into a very self-conscious kind of way. We're worried about us. We're worried about what we're doing. And we've forgotten the important part that you have to set your eyes on who the groom is. He has been unchanging. He has never wronged not one man, not one woman in this room. And he never will. He has never failed you. He has never failed to carry you when you needed it. Why do you think he would start now? You don't actually think that until you get self-conscious and then you start filtering his great character through your own lack. You become mocking of who he is because you are mocking his bride. Your thoughts about yourself become blasphemous towards his name. We have to look at him in an elevated way. He is our perfect groom. He does not lack paying attention to us. He does not lack the love that we need. He does not lack anything. And so therefore, neither do we. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Somebody say groom conscious as you're turning there. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Golly. 
I can feel the groom starting to speak to hearts today. He's speaking. And by the way, he never lacks in speaking to us. Especially in a church like this. Our groom is constantly speaking to us. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And what was he dressed in? He was dressed in regal wedding attire. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. We have to grasp what is going on in here. In Revelation 2, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. And it says that these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And he walks amongst the golden, the seven golden lampstands. Church, we have a groom and he is walking among the lampstands to ensure that his bride is ready. He is ensuring and evaluating your readiness for his arrival. You are his bride. You are supposed to have your lamps ready, trimmed, and full of oil. Let us just say it plainly to make sure that you understand the context of what we're saying. He is among us in this room. Our groom is standing amongst us. He is walking among the lampstands. And what is he doing? He's evaluating his bride to make sure that you are as willing as he is. How many times have we come in here into a service and you've been distracted, you've been worried, you've been self conscious and you start to feel God's presence and everything that you were just worried about just vanishes away from you in that moment. Distracted, thinking about your own lack and then he speaks something to your heart and it changes who you are. What we have to grow in is the fact that he is already here whether you can feel the goosebumps or not. He is the groom, and it says that he walks amongst the lampstands. He's walking. He's evaluating. He is looking. He is inspecting. He is looking at you to see if you and your willingness is matching what his willingness already has been proven to be. The groom walks amongst the lampstands, and he's doing it right now here in this house. We read Psalm 77 earlier to know that the psalmist points all the way back to the beginning of the erosion period, all the way back to their baptism, their mikvah through the Red Sea, all the way back to their experience on the mountain with thunders, with lightnings, with smoke, when they got their ketubah from their king, from their husband. And then he says, oh yeah. And from the beginning of that erosion period, all the way from that time, through every path, through every journey, through every struggle, I've been with you even though you couldn't see my footprints. Yeah. Then to know that 
as we sit together in this room, our groom walks among the lampstand of this church, and he walks among the lampstand of your life. Knowing that he is more than willing, more than capable, more than desiring to refine his bride and make her exactly what she was always created to be. Church, the question is, are you as willing as he is? If he's among us right now in this church, it's not just this place that he's among us. It's not just this place that he's walking. It might be the place that we feel him the most, but he's also walking among our team meetings. He's walking among us as we discuss. He's walking among us as we get into our mashlomkas. His spirit with us trying to encourage you. Be more transparent. Lay it out there. You know what's right. I'm walking among my lampstands now. He's among us. Even in our bedrooms. Even amongst on our beds as we talk to our wives and wives to our husbands. He's among us. He's among us as we discipline our children. He's even among us at our workplaces. Even though that's probably the place that we don't feel, that we feel in the least, right? But he walks among his lampstands in our workplaces and any other place that you go. He is unceasingly evaluating you, his lampstand, at all times to make sure that you are able to reflect him, shining with all the brilliance of the sun in this dark world that we walk. If you've caught our emphasis today, it is about the groom. It is always about him. His bride is a reflection of his character. His bride is a reflection of his greatness. And to make sure that you're catching that, we want to go to verse 14. It says, The hair on his head was white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. The groom has eyes only for his bride, but those eyes are a blazing fire that can refine and see through and eradicate any facade that is put up. His feet we're like bronze glowing in a furnace. Everywhere he steps, it brings purification. Everywhere he sets his foot, it brings holiness. Everywhere he places his foot in your life, he will purify. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. His voice is like rushing water over your life because it washes away all that does not belong because he will have a spotless bride. He's equipped with everything that you need. And he will prepare you to present you perfect to himself. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. 
and out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. This is the groom that we behold. This is the king, the husband that we are looking to. This is the groom who deserves a bride that is just like him. And it cannot be the other way around. It is perfection in the marriage covenant when the wife reflects the groom. It is a projection when the groom tries to get the husband to reflect the wife. The paradigm is flipped and it creates something that is unholy and unrighteous. But the scripture, the word of God, shows us who our groom is that we might reflect him perfectly. But what a task to undertake. But praise him who is carrying us through the whole process. He is the groom who has, who has proven that he is willing to transform us. Because we will stand before him being just as he is. As the bride of Christ. When each one of you have a testimony that demonstrates Jesus' willingness to transform you. Is that true? Is it just one singular transformation? One singular testimony? Well, we're, we're nearing a close here. Got a few more scriptures, but this is where we need you to pay attention the most. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 40 and say, groom conscious, as you turn. Groom conscious. So be in the NIV. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Indignant. Angry. Is an equal translation. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. We all see that Jesus' response to the statement, if you're willing, is the equivalency of asking, if you will help me. If you are strong enough to meet me in my condition. If you are able to strengthen me, cleanse me, and make me whole. Jesus' response to that, being indignant, was righteous and it was holy. No wonder he was incensed and indignant by it. He is the perfect groom. What do you mean, if? That's why I am here. And that's who I am. Of course he is willing. Of course he doesn't want to throw away this leper, whom the whole community probably has thrown away many times. But Jesus says the perfect groom is here to cleanse you. He doesn't want to throw you away. He doesn't want to ostracize you. He doesn't want to ban you from his presence. 
He is willing. We just have to get rid of our faithlessness. And he's proven his willingness from the beginning by the evidence that he's been carrying you along this entire time. So let's get to something here. Everybody look up at us. The question isn't if he is willing. The question is, do you actually love him to the depth that you trust he will carry you to himself? See, the issue is not about just having more tenacity. The issue is not just about having more talent. The core issue to every single one of our faithless problems is love. Love for him above any and all things. You want to know what keeps your walk on track? What keeps your soul and spirit holy and clean? It's because you love him as your groom. That nothing that you think or do wants to taint that relationship that you have with him. And when you have that core foundation of an ultimate and high love of him, then the willingness begins to flow. You cannot force yourself to be willing if you don't love him to the depth that he loves you. You cannot do the work of God without that foundation of love that reciprocates his. And you cannot walk in consistent holiness without that sacrificial love flowing from you back towards him. And then when you do, man, it overflows to everyone else around you. You have no problem being disgruntled, bitter, mara at your work condition. You don't want to run every single time that someone hints at a correction. You love it because you love him and you love those that are part of the bride. Does it make more sense now when the word says that we love because he first loved us? He has never failed. Not for one fraction of a second to demonstrate his love for you. What we are saying to you today is that there is an issue of us serving him because we love him. It is the love of Christ that should compel us in our actions. Not your fear of failure. Not your embarrassment over losing a coin. Not your disdain for the team that God put you in. Not for your thinking about yourself in an unending cycle. Where has that gotten you? Except just perpetuating more fear and you're just serving the Lord because you're trying to keep from screwing something else up. It is his love. I'm going to read a final passage to you. Psalm 103 verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear and love him. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us? See, we want to proclaim our willingness, but I am willing. 
Well, if you really are willing, His great steadfast love is towards you. You know what He does with His steadfast love? He carries you. If you really are willing, He carries you as far away from your sins as the east is from the west. Don't you often think of Him carrying the sins away from you? As a groom, what does the groom do though? He takes the bride and he puts her close to his heart. Like a good shepherd, he takes the lambs and pulls them close to his heart. And he walks you away from the sin so far that you can no longer see it. We have one thing that we want you to wrestle with right now. If you are willing, he really does carry you all the way to himself. The reality is that you claim that you are willing. But you fail to see these effects of steadfast love, of him carrying you away from your sin as far as the east is from the west. You fail to see the effects of these in your life. This can only leave us with one binary choice. Either he is not the perfect groom. He's either not able. He's either not loving or the real issue is not his willingness, but our willingness. The conclusion that we must come to is that your love towards him is tainted. He's walking amongst us now, though, church. He is walking amongst us in order to fix this issue in you. Stand up with us this morning. We want to bring you to a very singular, clarified point together this morning. This altar is going to be open. But it's open for one thing exclusively. We've talked about a lot of different concepts this morning. But the altar is for one exclusive concept. This altar is for you. For you who are falsely proclaiming your own willingness. Oh, I am willing. I am willing. I am willing. But all the while, you've actually loved your sin. You've actually been comforted by your failure. You've actually loved your weakness and that feeling of failure instead of actually loving him and having him carry you. This altar is for you who want a false sense of willingness to become a real sense of love and willingness. If you want that this morning, if you want that singular point where you are crying out for transformation in your love for him, that it would be a real love. That you would learn to love him in a real way just as he has loved you. Respond this morning as we begin to pray. Our groom, our groom, we look to you today. We look up to you this morning. We lift our eyes. We lift our hearts. And we look to you. 
We can see the love and devotion that you've had for us. We've experienced your faithfulness time and time again. Father, we can see that we have said that we are willing, but we can see, mighty God, that we have not been like you have showed us. This morning, we're crying out from our souls as your bride, groom, transform us today. Groom, let us show you the same love that you've shown to us. Groom, put us on your shoulders. We repent. We repent this morning for beating, for struggling, for trying to get off of the path that you know will produce life. We show our love to you today by our repentance. We say, groom, take us where you want us to go.